Welcome to Salon Conversations. It's Lisa Conway here and I'm your host. We often know the public face of those that we look up to in the hair and beauty space, but I'm really keen to find out the full story, the backstory. Why this industry? Where did it all start for them? Where are they now? And where do they expect to be next? In this podcast, I'll be looking behind the salon door because that's the salon conversation. I'm really keen to have. Welcome, Mark. It's really lovely to have you here today. I've been wanting to speak to you for a while now, so it's my pleasure. Welcome. Well, thank you, Lisa. I've also been wanting to come on this podcast, so I'm stoked that you've given me the opportunity. Well, we're both in the same room at the right place then, aren't we, hey? For sure. So what I wanted to ask, I wrote a couple of questions because I I felt like you're such an organised dude. I thought I'd better be organised. Um, what's a nice bloke in a, like you doing in an industry like this? That's my pickup line, Mark. <laughs> well, uh, I heard you're a beer salesman. That's what I heard. I, I actually was, Lisa. Funny enough, I was a beer salesman. Uh, all right. So how did I come into the hair industry? Well, I've always been very entrepreneurial. Uh, So like I had a personal training business for many years back in the day. I had a fashion business where I I used to sell my own uh, trucker caps, which was a lot of fun for many years. Um, I even set up my own fruit juice distribution business with my mum and her partner in the day. Uh, But I quickly realized that I wasn't getting to where I wanted to go. So I decided to go and work for someone else who had some runs on the board in terms of business And I ended up selling beer for East Ninth Brewing Company, which to be honest, I absolutely loved. Like the guys taught me a lot about business and I could start to see where I was going wrong myself as an entrepreneur and I was learning a lot. So I was really enjoying it. Then around two years into that role, I was out running with a good friend of mine uh, who a lot of your listeners will know, uh, Joey Scandizo. And it's an interesting one with Joey because before I was in this industry, I knew Joey was a great hairdresser, but I didn't realize to what caliber and how much respect Joey had in this industry. So he was always just a good mate of mine. And I didn't sort of know the full extent of of what he held within this industry. But Joey was telling me about hair product sales and telling me about Ausdare and Eleven Australia and how much fun the industry is. And after a bit of hesitation, Well, actually, there was a lot of hesitation because the initial sit-down that Joey organised with the CEO of Ausdare, Carlo, I actually said to Carlo, no, I don't want to come and work for Ausdare because I love my job selling beer so much. It was was great fun. Um, But I then made the decision a few months after that to jump across to Ausdare where I was selling 11 Australia at its infancy period. And... Thinking back, I mean, I've been at Ausdare eight and a half years now, so it's it's been a while, but um, wow, like having the opportunity to have been one of the very first salespeople in the world to take 11 Australia to market, what a fun time that was. And to see how far that brand's come, it's just been phenomenal. And during that time, Lisa, I just totally fell in love with Ausdare, 11 Australia, Kevin Murphy, and just the whole hair industry. And I found that through my diehard love of my job and the the amazing brands that I got to sell, I just started to see a lot of success. And then as my success grew, some of the big wigs at Ausdare started to pay attention to what I was doing. And 
I ended up getting promoted to national sales manager of the 11 Australia team, actually. Um, that was my first step within Ausdare to where I am today. And um, we hit this point of growth that just needed a team leader. So fortunately, I got the opportunity. And then I spent six years in that role and learned as much as I could about leadership and culture and was able to create this amazing team around me, which I love. I love all those people I've worked with over the years, and most of them still work with me today, which is amazing. And then at the end of last year, Carlo, the CEO of Ausdare, just came up to me and he said, I want you to run the whole sales arm of the Ausdare business. Are you up for it? And of course, Lisa, you know me too well. And I said, yes, and then here I am today. There you go. It's been a wonderful journey. I think for me, um, watching it from the outside, I think what was really different and that stood out was the product uh, company reps at 11 weren't hairdressers. And that was that was a bit, ooh, okay, how does this work? And I think that was a really good strategy and I'm sure it wasn't an accident. Was it not an accident? It's a good question, actually. I don't reckon it was an accident because in those early days, it wasn't on my behalf. I wasn't making hiring decisions like I am now. But even today, Lisa, interesting that you say that, of the 14 business development consultants in the 11 Australia team, only two of them are ex-hairdressers and 12 of them are not. So it has been, it's worked really well for that brand. Why do you think it's worked really well? I think I know, but what do you think? Well, I believe they don't come in with any preconceived ideas of the industry, um, of the client experience in the salon, what it's like to be a hairdresser, the fears of selling retail. I think particularly around the fear of selling retail, which I know we're going to talk about later on uh, in this conversation, uh, but I think that's a big one, Lisa, to be honest. Um, when you don't come, when you're not a stylist and then come into a sales role, you can see the excitement around retail. You want to help salons be amazing at retail. And not being a hairdresser before doing this role definitely helps that. Yeah. I think there's too much um, empathy um, when you're a hairdresser. And it's also the, it's a different brain. To me, hairdressers are selling all the time, but they don't see it as selling. Like they they sell the movie that they want their client to go and see. And they sell, they sell the shoes they need to go online to get because it's on special today. And they sell all day long. But for some reason, there's this blockage around that I don't really understand it. But I when what I particularly noticed was um the 11 reps were like firemen or handsome. Like you think, seriously, does he not employ ugly people? Like, what's going on here? Because often when we'd see the other side, they'd say, oh, have you met Mark? Oh, my God, have you met this one? Have you met that one? And I'd say, yeah, is he, is he doing his job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was not, you know, to get the attention of a hairdresser who's a visual, you need to look good. So I don't know. There's, I was accused of that years ago in my salon. They say, do you not employ the ugly hairdressers? And I think it's not about that. To me, it's about a person who looks after their whole self who sees themselves as an asset, their appearance as an asset. They are visual people, so they like the way they look, they like the way they feel. You know, let's be honest, the Ausdare reps are gorgeous. They're very handsome boys, yeah, all of them. Yeah, we've got some good-looking roosters in our team and we've got some attractive ladies as well. I mean, we, we don't hire, we definitely don't hire based on looks. We always 
want to put on the person that's got the best attitude. And the team that we've got and have always had has been based on that exact thing. You know, do they represent themselves well, take care of their appearance, look after themselves and have an amazing attitude? And I mean, we've hired some green salespeople. We've taken people on at Ausdare, particularly with Eleven Australia, who have had no sales experience, but we knew they really loved the products love what Ausdeer was all about and wanted to give it a crack. And we've we've taken a lot of punts on that. And a lot of those people, in fact, most of them have come through to be some of the best people we've ever put on. And that's, that comes back to um, not having a history. So when you take an ex-hairdresser, so firstly, why are you in this field when if you were really good at the hairdressing, you'd stay there, wouldn't you? Like, why would you move over? Do you know what I mean? I think there's there's got to be something about that. Whereas sometimes um, a product company rep is a an ex-hairdresser who is tired of being on the floor or is, you know, a bit bored and needs something else. But it's a different mindset. You really, it's really different, I think. And so there's definitely been some magic there, absolutely. Um, none of them are 60. They're all in a, a younger price range, I think, aren't they? And yet, you know, one of your best reps is probably your oldest rep. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got Andrew Beale, and you know Bealey. I mean, that guy is is only just hitting his full potential now. He's been doing this a long time. He's one of our older reps, but Bealey's just a gun, and his clients love him. He's so passionate about Ausdare and Eleven Australia, which is the core brand that he sells. And Andrew just does so well, Lisa, which you know. So, yeah, Andrew would be our, our oldest, but, yeah, you're right. Most of our team are on the younger side of things. Yeah. They are. They definitely are. And that's where there's an exception to every rule, isn't there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so no plans going anywhere else. We're happy to keep you here. You're welcome to stay. Do you want to stay here forever or, you, you, you know, we're going to lose you? Like I, I say you're a big knob at 11. I remember the first phone call I got from you when you weren't a big knob. I didn't even know who you were. I was walking the dog and you said, is this Lisa Conway? And I thought, oh, what have I done? Parked my car over someone's driveway. <laughs> and you said the Lisa Conway and I thought all right now it's not about that it's someone who's being a smart ass and it was says you just read my book so I'd given the book to Carlo I think you had 11 reps then and you were going overseas and I gifted him 11 books at the Naked Salon and because you weren't a rep I think it made sense to you because you got an insight into the brain of a hairdresser and probably that was the first time you really thought oh my god this is why they think like they think so. Oh, Lisa, your your book totally transformed my career as a salesperson in this industry. You're spot on. I finally got to get into the head properly and understand the way hairdressers think, but also not so much how they think, but how they should be thinking, which is what your book taught me. And then I was able to take those should do's and then teach the salons I was working with, all of these amazing principles in your book. And from that, I saw a lot of success because I was teaching them this great stuff that you had taught me through your book. Your book made me look great. My sales were going through the roof. All my salons I looked after were growing exponentially. Um, so I've, I've got to thank you a lot for getting me to where I am today. Thank you, and I do appreciate it. But part of the challenge is getting the little bastards to read it. And this is where, you know, my next question is, have you always been this driven? Like I give you the book, you read it. I remember you saying I was reading it and Joey's going, what are you reading? What are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> and he's not a reader. He told me straight up, not reading your book. It's a good. Off you go. Clearly he's got this far without reading it. But 
it's about um, taking action and seeing an opportunity, isn't it? And so many salons don't. They haven't got time. One of the things we say is if you can't read my book, I can't work with you. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, you, you just, one, you're not committed or you don't have the time. So either way, I can't help you. It's not going to work. So have you always been this confident, driven person? Like we we laugh about you. We tease you when you're not listening. We say, we say, Mark, Mark, he's that excitable. He's always excited. Like you're on. Are you ever off? Because you're always in a good mood, we see, anyway. Yeah, I am always in a good mood. I um I am always happy. I, I have created the person I am today, though. It hasn't just come because, um, like, believe it or not, like, I haven't always been this confident, can-do type of person. If I go back, Lisa, like, I was bullied in high school from year 7 to 10. So at such a young, influential age, that kicked any confidence that I had out of me pretty early on. Um, I was also a very shy kid right up until about the age of 16 when what actually turned the confidence around for me was my first decent haircut. I still today will never forget the first decent haircut that I ever had. And that haircut totally changed my life. So to all the hairdressers out there listening now, and I know that's probably most of your audience, Lisa, I want them to know that what they do is undeniably special because it was a haircut that shaped and transformed my self-confidence leading into adulthood. I remember I started to have girls look at me and pay attention, which I'd never had before. And it was around that time that I remember I had that haircut and mum entered me into this national model search competition at the age of 16, which I ended up coming second in so that was huge for boosting my self-confidence leading into my final years at high school. I can still remember the this one day, one morning I was running late for school. I was running out the shower. I've got my towel wrapped around me and mum's standing in the lounge room with a camera and she's like, stop, stop, stop. I just need to get this photo of you. I'm like, mum, what are you doing taking a photo of me in my towel? She's like, snap. She's like, cool, I've got it. Go. I'm thinking, my God, what was that all about? And then about uh, three weeks later, she goes, oh, I've got to take you to the city. I, I entered you in this modeling competition and they really want to meet you. And so that is just, that's how the story went. But that did a lot for my confidence um, at the time. And then it was around the age of 18, I met a good mate of mine who owned nightclubs and he really took me under his wing and he taught me a lot about self-confidence and how to make people feel special. And I just remember loving his in infectious passion for life. So all of that combined passed on to me. But even so, I still carried some of my shy traits with me for many years after that. Like I really struggled with public speaking. People would be laughing that know me if they're ever, if anyone I know listens to this, they're going to be laughing going as if that guy ever struggled with public speaking. But to be honest, it was the biggest fear for me. Like I had to work super hard for around two years to overcome that fear of public speaking. And I struggled with that right up until about the age of 34. And I'm 39 now. So it's really only been <clears throat> for the last sort of five or so years that I've been confident with public speaking. And then in between all of that, Lisa, from the age of about 21 to 32, I actually suffered from severe anxiety and panic disorder. And like my journey in overcoming that over many years really shaped my can-do attitude that I have now and have had for the last eight or so years. So in answer to your question, 
it's been one hell of a journey to create the confident individual that you see today. But if I could go back and do it again, I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. And why do you? Why would anyone pick on you at school? What could you possibly be? How could you be a target? Like you, you weren't a fat kid, or not at all? No, I wasn't a fat kid. I was just an easy target. Like I, I wasn't a fighter. So you know, it was just. Just, just basic name calling and like anyone in high school, and most people listening to this, I'm sure, have been bullied in their time, whether it be um, physically or verbally. Um, for me, it was a little bit of both. Uh, but no, I was I was a sporty kid, um, well liked, had a great group of mates. But yeah, I just I didn't I didn't ever want to fight back. I was a lover, not a fighter. So um, for for some of those bullies at school, I was just an easy target. Yeah, interesting. I never got bullied ever. Oh wow, you did well. I think I think I had five brothers, maybe, and three sisters. So there's probably a, there were some soldiers around. So yes. well, plus I'd tell you to fuck off if, if someone come. I I just was always, I don't know. I've always been probably was the other way. I was probably a fighter, not a lover. Mm-hmm. Yes, probably. <laughs> a feisty little fighter, I think I was. Always stood my ground and had a. Yeah, I guess in some areas I wasn't confident. I wasn't confident with my appearance, but I was confident with my attitude. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think a lot of those things come from upstream, don't they? They're just instilled in you and and you do work on them. I think you work on them forever. And that probably ties me into my next question. You see, you know, over the last eight and a half years, you've seen lots and lots of salon owners, right? So you'd see some rippers and you'd see some that are drowning and struggling and woe is me. And what what would you, is there a consistent behaviour you see? I think I know what it is, but is there something that you can sort of, you know, you can gauge or feel and tell if a person's going to be a successful business? Like some some of them are, I can't find staff, I can't find staff. And then you've got others who go, mate, I wish I had another chair because mm-hmm. I've put on another team member. You know, I, the, for starters, I hate that word staff, but there's a lot of whinges. So what, what do you think the common denominator is out there when people are successing, succeeding? Lisa, it's a big question you ask. I've actually, there's a lot that comes to mind for me. So I'll work through my thoughts here one, one at a time. I find like the salon owners and salons that are really succeeding today, they're being led by someone who's highly passionate about what they do. And they love it so much that it doesn't even seem like work to them yet. The business is always going full steam ahead. And I find that they're leaders, not managers. And this may sound confusing to some, but leadership is the key to building a great salon team and a great business. You have to empower your people. You've got to give them autonomy and you've got to coach them through their challenges, not just yell at them and tell them every time they do something wrong, oh, you're doing that wrong. Don't do it like that. Do it like this. That's like your typical micromanagement kind of kind of stuff. But in leadership, you'd, you'd nurture them and, and help them through those moments. I noticed like these salon owners doing well, they don't focus so much on what their competition are doing. Like they are their number one competitor and everything they do each day is all about being better than they were the day before. So when I say this, I'm talking about all aspects of a salon business from how well they're perceived on social media to the levels they're prepared to go to with things like search engine optimization, uh, paid ads on Facebook and Instagram. Like the best salons are prepared to invest in the growth of their business from a marketing perspective, but they're also prepared to invest in the growth of their staff. And they're always more than happy to pay for their staff's education to make sure that the quality of the work being done is to the highest standard it can be. 
Your staff need to be educated continuously to ensure your client retention stays high and the salon owner's doing well. They're happy to pay for their staff education all the time. Also, the most successful salon owners that I'm seeing, they're being coached behind the scenes or have been coached and now know how to operate a good business. Every salon should invest in a business coach. Like this is when a lot of the magic and growth occurs in the business from like in salon specific business, it's increased treatments, increased retail sales, uh, uncovering the ultimate client journey and the overall client happiness. And like I'd say, whether you run a great salon business or not, if you've never had a coach, you should get one. Um, culture is massive as well, Lisa. And as owners, you must create the ultimate work environment. One that's fun, encourages growth and development, and one that values accountability in its people. You must guide and nurture your team to make sure that they know that you've got their back and that you only want to see them succeed. You've got to create an environment that is so good that you know your stylists are going home to their families and going out with their friends, telling those most important to them in their lives how much they love what they do and who it is that they work for. And most importantly, I love meeting salon owners that have a growth mindset. They always want to be better. Um, they love doing courses both inside and outside of the industry. They love listening to their sales reps and they're really humble about taking advice and implementing new ideas that come from these conversations. And it's this passion and growth that comes from that that filters through to their teams and that passion attracts good talent and it creates good business. And, and to me, it's about um, just staying curious, you know, what else is there? It's not like, oh, we did that, I did that, we did that. Oh, really? Like, you know, what what could I be doing wrong? It's like an intelligent question. You know, they don't say, they want to say, oh, what are they doing? Like, what are people doing at the moment? Not, oh, is everybody quiet? They don't want to find a pool of um, not working. They want to find out and be amongst those who are working, you know, and it's, it's sad to see, but often you go to events and it's the same salons there all the time. You know, you think that's interesting. There's, um, I think, 3,000 or something salons in Melbourne alone, but it's the same 50 salons. You know, it's the same staying curious. And so, you know, to culture, to have that culture in your business, which is um, we take feedback, you know, we're curious, we want to know, and that constant and ever improvement, it's almost like... Um, I, I agree, of course, that you have to have a coach. I just think, how could you, how could you not learn business when you couldn't get, you couldn't do a haircut unless someone trained you? So what makes you think you can run a business? You know, and mm -hmm. I was guilty of that. I got to year the end of my second year, and I thought, Fuck, I need someone to help me with this. You mm -hmm. know, I just thought it's got to be easier than this. I thought I was the only one <clears throat> who was struggling, and 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 when I look at a lot of salons, I wasn't struggling in comparison. I was still making good money. I just was the joy was falling over for me, you know, and I thought, well, what's it going to make you money if you're not, you're not loving it and you're the only one doing all the work, you know? So I've always been curious by nature. It doesn't matter what it is, but I find there's a bit of a, um, there's a different mindset for those who win. Those who win want to know more. They just, they just want to know what else, what else you got, you know, it's a company out of colours <laughs> and there's others that just, they're more accepting. They just go, oh, that's kind of how it is. It's almost like, you know, um, people who've got children that are misbehaving and they can't control, they go, oh, two-year-olds are like that. And I think, nah, 
they're not. Whereas others go, well, that's interesting. Your kids don't seem to flip out like that. What are you doing? Oh, well, I make sure mine go to bed at seven o'clock every night. Oh, really? Like they're curious. They want to know. And to me, that curiousness is just gold in everything, in your relationships at home and in everything. Just stay curious. What else have you got, you know? So to me, that that's really important. But but both of those things that you said and that I said really comes down to your head, doesn't it? It's the way. Hundred oh, percent, Lisa. I agree completely with what you said about curiosity. It's everything. I I know going back to the days I was in salons every day, there were certain salon owners that were always curious, and and as I said earlier, they're happy to have conversations with their sales reps, and they want to know what all the other successful salons that you work with are doing, and you know, do you want to share any ideas that they're doing that I might not be? And then there's other ones that just say. No, don't want to know about that education. I've done it all. Uh, No, don't want to know about that idea. We've done that. It doesn't work. No, don't want to know about that for this and that. And there's plenty out there, Lisa, I'm telling you. I mean, I know you know that, um, but there really is. And you've just got to have an open mind all the time and you've got to stay curious all the time if you want to succeed long into the future in this business now. And it's got to be more than about you. I think a lot of the things that block you are about you. So people are scared to fail. You know, I I used to be scared to fail, and I did, but I, I don't know when I actually got over it. I don't think it was any particular day, but um, sentences like failing forward, you know, I think that's just how you learn, isn't it? It's a lesson. And I remember my boss, uh, my boss, my coach teaching me that learn these mistakes early. Like he said, if you can learn HR mistakes early when you've only got two or three on team, it's not a big expense. But if you wait, that $3,000 mistake, is a $30,000 mistake. And then if you get a really big, it's a $300,000 mistake. So we're just talking noughts, aren't we, really? So, you know, if if you don't teach people things when they're little, like they say, you know, hit the mountain when it's small or put the fire out when it's only a, a little flicker rather than a bushfire. And that's that's the same with everything. And I think one of the things that I struggle with is that we don't teach um, people coming up the ranks how to recommend, right? I think there's a there's some really um, fundamental flaws in our system. So what happens in a salon, and, and you might not know this because you've not been a hairdresser, but we teach people how to help us first, right? So I'm, I'm doing a, a colour or a blow wave or something, so I let you come in and help me, and you help me put the foils in or you help me put the tint on, but nowhere we did, do we teach them to consultate. You know, very rarely do we teach, help them help me to consultate. Like they just... They let them do part of the tasks first. And and speaking to a client comes later. And I think it should come first. I think if you can speak to a client and you can negotiate and and have a conversation, which you should be able to do right in the beginning, but they don't do that. They teach them all the tasks, task, 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 blow away, blow away, put foils on, do that. And then they go, all right, now you've got to go and talk to a client. (laughs) And I think, you know, like, Years ago, another example of that was they used to teach them not to cut first. They used to teach them how to apply a colour or do foils first. And I think that's easier, right? Why don't you teach them to cut? So I always sent my kids to trade school do cutting first because I think what happens is they get working with clients and they can't cut. Client, cutting takes the longest. Speaking to clients take the longest. Like if you can talk a lady down from being angry or talk a understand what a client wants you're fucking halfway home Mm. or the color is the technical part is actually a lot easier but 
but we do respect that more than we do respect the dialogue. Mm. And I think that's a fundamental change that has to happen. Is mm. we've, got to, we've got to respect the dialogue more than we respect the skill. That's that's what I think. Lisa, you, you mentioned like <clears throat> the, the consultation side of things. You'll have some listeners here going, oh, that would be crazy to think that a stylist isn't doing a consultation with their client. But I'm telling them right now, there are way more stylists that don't do consultations that do. That is a fact. Uh, you know, and I've had certain experiences, whether it be, um, you know, in, in a, the beauty side of things or getting a massage where I've just been blown away by the power of the consultation. And I think, wow, like I just very rarely see our stylists doing consultation to the level that you see in beauty or um, in these uh, better massage kind of places where you, you go get a really good massage. I'm like, do, do you notice that as well, Lisa? Yeah, I think the hairdresser thinks they're doing a consultation, but when they say, so what are we doing today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got an appointment book. You go and have a look, dickhead. Why are you asking me for? Like, that's <laughs> what I feel like saying. But I think that's not a consultation. It's bare bum. Or they say, we cut much off, cut much off today. Do you want the same as last time? That's not a consultation. No. You know, so there's got to be a big shift there. And I think if you can nail the consultation, Every problem that you have in a salon, every colour that doesn't take, every blonde that's too blonde or not blonde enough, every red that's too red, you can track it back to the consultation every single time. It's everything. Every single time. And so that's where the problems lie and that's where the problems can be fixed. But I think we need to teach that before we even let them touch anybody. And so I used to love to have a client, I'd have a $11 blow wave, right? And so... You get anyone off the street, you'd only have to sign out for a couple of hours and then you'd get a couple of $11 blow waves in, which was nothing. But what I wanted to do was take some money off the person so that the, the junior doing the blow wave got to take the money off them, got to rebook them, got to do everything. Because what I didn't want is that they started to do a blow wave that we're not taking money off them and didn't really make an appointment. It's one of my clients I'm giving to you to just do the task. I wanted them to do from the start to the finish, the whole service, and, you know, help them all the way, of course. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but I think there's a big there's a big problem, and you would see this too, that everybody's buying shampoo, but they're not buying it from the salon. So I'm saying, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Where are they getting it? Like, let's be honest. We're shampooing our hair, even men, right? What are you using? Oh, something my wife buys. Like, seriously, I used to tell them that, don't use that, you'll grow boobs. And they'd say, oh, will I? I'd say, no, but it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think the block is there? Why is it that some people can recommend a shampoo and conditioner and a product to their clients and do it consistently day in, day out, like it's nothing, like it's offering a cup of tea? Um, and why is it that some can't, do you think, Mark? Okay, I could go on for a long time about this uh, because obviously having been a salesperson where my core role was to get stylists selling retail, like I was blown away early on by how many stylists, uh, exactly what you're saying, Lisa, they just can't get their head around the retail side of what they do. So look, first, first I'd say there's many things, but I'd say lack of knowledge around what they're selling. So Stylists need to have a basic knowledge of every single product in their salon, but that knowledge doesn't just come by doing nothing. Like they have to be prepared to go 
go home and learn about the products in their salon, come back in the salon, trial them on themselves, trial them on models, trial them on actual clients. If you don't know much about what you're using, then you're going to lack confidence in recommending it. It's a no-brainer. I'd say that stylists, like if you want to be a true professional in your industry, you need to make retail and knowing your products an absolute priority. I'd also say a lack of confidence, and this occurs over time by being told by a client that they don't want to take the recommended products home. Like this fear of being told no starts to arise. Stylists that are listening to this, you have to learn to rise above this. If you're not going to give your clients the opportunity to buy the products that you've used to create the style you've done in the salon, then how good is your work going to look after that client walks out of the salon? Probably not as good as it could be if you educated them in the salon on which products they should take home and how to use them. When you do this, the likelihood of them taking those products home after you've given them that opportunity goes through the roof. Like you are the hair expert. Why would you let your clients go somewhere else to get product when you know their hair better than anyone? And like, let's face it, everybody buys hair products anyway, everybody. So you may as well be the one that sells it to them. Most supermarket shampoos will strip color. Why would you allow your clients to do that and go and buy those products and like the jeopardize the work you've done in your client's hair. You just wouldn't. It makes no sense to me. Like you should be fighting hard as a stylist to make sure that your clients are buying products from you and no one else. On average, a client spends around 24 hours a year in the salon chair. Like that's about one day. So your client's hair will always look its best when they leave the salon. But how's it going to look the other 364 days a year, if you haven't sent them home with the right products to recreate what you've done. Your clients are your number one lead generator and they are a billboard for your work. So you've really got to make retail a priority. I'd also say laziness, which is the side effect of a lack of confidence. And it's the easy way out when you're not prepared to step out of your comfort zone and conquer those fears around retail. As human beings, we are naturally wired to sit in our comfort zones. But what a lot of people will never get to realize is that all the magic and growth occurs in the fear zone, which is way out of our comfort zones. And the fulfillment that you get from facing your fears and living out of your comfort zone, it is absolutely huge. Like I've personally chosen to take the path of most resistance for my whole life. And that's why I am the person I am today. Like there are no shortcuts to success and being the best at what you do. If you're a stylist listening to this and retail is not your strong point, I would suggest stepping out of your comfort zone and starting to chip away at making retail a strength for you day by day, week by week, month by month until you get it. Getting great at educating your clients on what products to use at home should be a priority for any stylist. So I just say, keep chipping away at it. Um, a lot of stylists think that the client can't afford the products and it's going to be too expensive to add on to their services bill. Like this is also a huge mistake. Like you don't know how much money your client earns or their partner. Like what if they just received an inheritance a few weeks before the appointment and like they're ready to splash out? 
we cannot as stylists ever presume we've just got to give the clients the opportunity anyway. Like there's there's even more coming to mind here, Lisa. I'm thinking like stylists don't want to be seen as being pushy, but like what they don't realize is that giving the client the opportunity to purchase products is not being pushy. Giving your clients the opportunity to go home with retail shows that you are actually doing your job properly. Like, let me use an analogy here for some people. Like, how often do you go to a restaurant for dinner? Well, in lockdown, not often these days if you live in New South Wales or Victoria, but how often do you go for dinner? And after your mains, the waiter comes out and asks you if you want to see the dessert menu. If that waiter came out after your mains and didn't ask you that question, you'd probably be thinking that was pretty unprofessional or probably a little bit strange. I mean, in the, if I bring this um, analogy back to um, the fear that stylists have around the services costing too much and therefore I better not tack the retail on because it's going to cost too much, it's no different to a waiter waiting a table at a restaurant where the food bill comes to $4,000 for a group of people and it's like, oh, wow, as the waiter they're going, I better not ask this group of people if uh, they want dessert because they've just spent $4,000 on their mains and that might tip them over the edge. It's no different with retail. Uh, we need to give the clients the opportunity to purchase. And like lastly, something that I have seen over the years is stylists needing to be rewarded for their effort to sell, um, whether it be like you know, getting a percentage of each retail product sold or a dollar value for each product sold. I'm noticing that over the last few years, a trend towards this has been popping up. So like salons in particularly who don't incentivize their team to sell retail, I find that they tend to suffer a little bit more with this. Um, stylists these days tend to want to be rewarded for, for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in rewarding them because I think it's just doing your job. Like I think we've got to get back to the, the the reason why you're in business in the first place. And you spoke before about the beauty salon being better with consultation. Well, their belief is that 80% of the work that is done to your skin happens at home and only 20% happens in the salon, right? So they believe that the facial that they do or the treatments that they do, 20% of your results come from in the salon and 80% come at home. So there's a strong education around that. Whereas what happens in hair, I feel, is we believe 80% of the work happens in the salon. So we can colour your hair and cut it, which is true. And then only 20% is what you do at home. And I don't think that's a good starting point for starters. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually rude not to tell people what they um, need. And it's quite judging of people to decide whether or not you have the money, like it's none of your business, just spend your money, don't tell me where I can spend my money. But I'm often fascinated at how they don't do that, how they don't say you should need this. And I find it difficult for me because sometimes they know who I am or I say I'm a hairdresser and then they, they just presume I've got everything. But I'm the first to buy a product, just tell me what you used. Like you watch them squirt something in their hand and put it on your hair without asking you. I think, what are you doing? Like, what's that? Oh, it smells nice. Yeah, it does smell nice. And that's the end of it. Like, it's an education problem. The other challenge that I have um, is I think often they don't even um, buy what they sell. So, for example, you start out as a hairdresser and they do your hair in the salon. So you don't actually go to a salon 
and pick a hairdresser that's not where you work. Generally, your hair gets done where you work. So you don't even know what it's like to be a salon, to be a client. So, and then when I'll say to clients, they'll go, oh, I've been and had a blow wave when I went such and such and I went to my sister's wedding and I had a blow wave and whatever. And I think, yeah, but that's not the same. A blow wave can be washed out. Why don't you go and have a, a cut and a colour from a complete stranger? And their answer is, well, I don't know if she'll do a good job. I think, well, that's what the frigging public are thinking. Like you don't even, you don't even sell. It's like a vet who hates dogs. It's like a butcher who were a, a vegetarian that works in a butcher shop. So you're a hairdresser but you never go and pay three, $400 to have your hair done every six weeks. You've got no idea. You get it done for free, often not even done well. Often you put it on yourself or you, there's just no respect for it. And I'm shocked at the amount of stylists who don't treat their own hair, you know, who don't, who don't do their job. Like I, I am always doing consultations in supermarkets, in cafes, because my hair's red. It's a bright red. It's curly and it always looks good. Even when I'm not dressed nice, it always looks nice. And people say, I love your hair. And I say, oh, everybody should love your hair. Don't you love yours? And they go, no. And then I say, why? Well, there you go. I could have sold them four products. So now I'm writing down K18 on a business card or whatever else I think they need. And they go, thank you so much. And I think I walk away and I think she's 45, 40, 48. And that's probably her best fucking consultation in her whole life. It came from an ex-hairdresser's chatty and I've hung my, I hung my scissors up 10 years ago. Like that's where the problem is. I just think we're not honest enough and we need to see the trouble is, Mark, they think that as a uh, product company rep, you want them to buy the product so you hit your sale. That's, that's what they think, right? I've never thought like that, Lisa. All, all I've ever wanted since the day I started selling hair products was to see the salon businesses I work with grow and succeed and just do really well. Um, and I, I know that. that. I see further than that. I do want that. I wouldn't be a business coach in this space if I didn't want that. I want the client in the chair to feel like you felt when you were 18, that someone listened to you and from that haircut off your confidence grew. And the same thing happened to me when I was about 19. A hairdresser took me seriously. She asked me about my hair and what I wanted to do and did I want to grow up. And I thought, oh, no one's ever talked to me like that. She talked me into getting a blow wave every Saturday back in my country town, which was nowhere near her. And Jay teases me because I always say she sold me a shampoo and it had wheat germ in it. And he always te teases me. And um, because she gave a shit. And I left that day, was 19 years of age. She didn't know if I had money or not. She sold me a shampoo and conditioner, recommended I have a service in another salon, which would have been no benefit to her at all, and taught me how to grow my hair and what to do. Like that's what that's a true passionate hairdresser, and that was that would have been back in. I'm going to share my age now, 1983. All those years ago, mm -hmm. I see now that they are better than they ever been. I think my company's got a bit to do with that, and great companies like yours who who are relentless and never give up on our vision. But I do see that it's slightly changed, and that's because I think. There's no excuse. We people call them out and go, no, don't tell me you just want to look after your clients and you don't want to sell retail. That's an oxymoron thing to say. Because mm -hmm. if you actually look, did care about your clients, you'd make sure they had everything they needed. Simple. Like I couldn't look after my hair. If you took my products off me, I'd just keep tying it up until I came across a, a salon and I could buy some. Because the sh a shampoo with the wrong shampoo, my hair behaves terribly. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's really important. And I think 
um, the, the average Joe or Josephine in the street haven't been educated, so they don't know a good product unless they've had a great stylist and then, then they do. But I see people in the supermarket buying stuff and I feel like taking it out of their hands and putting it back out of the trolley and back on the shelf and saying, what are you doing? Get into a salon, you idiot. <laughs> you know, but the reason they're there buying it is because someone's not doing it and they don't know the difference. Disappointing. Agreed. But you know what? I think the other thing too, it's it's you've got to use examples that people understand. Like, you know, you can buy three litres of dishwashing liquid from, uh, you know, like in Nodna would have bought and she uses one cup of liquid in the, <laughs> one cup every time she uses the dishes, or you can buy a really concentrated bottle that you just use two drops of morning fresh, you know what I mean? Like it's, you have to use analogies that make sense to them. You know, Grange wine isn't sold in the cask, let's be honest here, right? Or your car, you know, you put premium unleaded in your car or super whatever because you love your car. And if you've got a shit car... <laughs> You put the shit shampoo, the shit petrol in. Do you know what I mean? Like th there is a way that you can talk to people that will get them to understand, you know, the, another a gardening analogy. It costs no more to plant a thought-out tree that will be here in 100 years than it is to plant a, a shrub that will grow fast. Do you know what I mean? Plant properly. Do your homework. Have a think about what it is. But the long-term gain will far outweigh the, the quick purchase, yeah? Definitely. And so we just got to keep going at it, I think, and just keep keep teaching people and keep educating them. And, and, and it all comes down to, you know, working smart. Like you can do a haircut, take an hour and charge $100, and in that same time you can sell a lady two products as well as a haircut. And you can double your sales. It's, it's really not that difficult. I just, I just am fascinated at how poor people are. And I shouldn't say that I'm fascinated because I didn't do it because nobody taught me when I first started, but then I learnt. And once you learn it, and, and another thing I want them to consider is when you say to someone, do you want to go a bit redder today? Or do you want to, do you want to go a little bit shorter? Or would you like to grow your hair? And they go, no, I don't want to. I think I'm, I'm happy with this length. We're not offended then. So why are we offended when you don't want they don't want to take the product home. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd, because there's money involved, perhaps I don't know. But my my way is saying, think of that the client has plenty of time, plenty of money, and recommend what you think they would have. So, if the products were for free, what would you get that client to take home? And I bet you that's very different to what you would get them to take home if you have to get a yes or a no. You know, it's okay if someone doesn't want to take home the products. It's none of your business where they spend their money. But for you not to recommend, like imagine if you went into the doctors and the doctor said, well, that wart on your, the back of your hand, he looks at you and he goes, use this cream. You've got to put it on every day for 14 days. And you think, oh, that's a bit of an inconvenience. But oh, well, I'll do it. And then you get to the chemist and the chemist says, well, there's another one. This one you've only got to put on morning and night for three days. You think, well, that's better, isn't it? Yeah, but it's twice as much. I don't care. Like, why can one person make a decision on what you should spend? Like, I'd much rather use it for three days and be done than do it for 14 days. Do you know what I mean? I, think, I love what you're saying there, Lisa. I think no matter what clothes the person's wearing, no matter what car they roll up in, no matter how rough or slick they look, 
we need to be treating each client consistently, regardless of what we presume they are all about, right? I love what you're saying there. We've just got to have that consistency in our approach with every client every time. And give them choices. Like, And I also, it's really important, I think, that salons have a, have a range of price for people. You know, not, not everybody wants to do, you know, expend what they want to spend and that's their choice and maybe it's just an education. But, you know, I, I'd say to people, well, it depends. You've got this one, right, and it's $43. What's the difference with that? Well, it is a premium brand. But I think for what you need, this is going to be fine, right? So there are some things that I like that aren't premium brands and there's some things I like that are premium brands. You know, we've all got things that we don't care. You know, some people will buy um, yellow label toilet paper and other people, they're not happy unless it's top of the range toilet paper. Well, I just think you're going to wipe your bum with it. So what does it matter? <laughs> but some people might say it's scratchy. Whatever, I don't care. Like, you know, let you choose what you want to choose. I, I get picked on because I buy um, raspberries and berries and things all the time. You know, they can be $4 a box, but they can be $7. And McCulloch, my partner, teases me all the time. He goes, oh, we've had a we've got to swipe the mortgage to get the berries for the girlfriend. And I go, you drink mineral water, at, like, in bottles of litres, like it's going out of fashion, or people buy a, a glass of wine for $15. And there's probably more nutritional value in two boxes of berries or three boxes of berries. So it's choice. And I think just let people choose, you know. And if I had a house full of kids, I'd probably be buying bananas at $1.99 a kilo the way they can churn through them. But it's it's none of, it's none of your business where I spend my money. Um, Lisa, that choice, um, you know, analogy is, is an interesting one. I still see a lot of salons today that say, oh, I'm a high-end salon, I'm a premium salon, and they don't have a, an affordable retail offering in the business because they don't want to be perceived as, as, a, as a cheap salon as such, right? But, like, I've got to tell those people out there that have a high-end A-grade salon having a high quality affordable retail brand is not bringing down the status of your salon like the amount of people that purchase affordable brands in our salons is astronomical so just pick the right affordable brand for your business and throw it in there because it will take your retail to a whole new level and it's about giving people a choice it's not like um We've got a $43 shampoo and a $43 conditioner all piss off. Like to me, that's not. And coming back to your analogy when you were talking before about the restaurant and when you talk about, you know, do you have dessert or not and thinking, well, they've already spent four grand on their meal, those 10 people, I certainly couldn't give them um, the, re the menu for a dessert. But I'd even go one further and I'd say, and I did a training today with a group of salons in Perth and we talked about the, the um, treatment options. So the first one is an instant one. So that would be K18 or something that you sprinkle in and leave in the hair. The next one would be something that you'd use with a hot towel and you'd have a five-minute massage, a five-minute rest. you probably put a towel over their eyes and then you'd come back. So it's a, that one's as much about the touch as it is about the hair. Uh, and then the next one would be something like the Plex Group or any one of those, like the, the original one was Olaplex, but something like that. And then the fourth option would be for treatment. The fourth option would be um, a relaxer, you know, something to take the frizz out of and makes your blow waving easy, right? So there's four options. So I said, what you wouldn't do, you wouldn't just drop that in front of them and go, here, pick one. But what you would do is you talk about 
what the options are. And the first one might be for people on the, on the go. The second one, for those who need a cuddle and a bit of hair love. The third one might be for those who are really serious about changing the structure of their hair. And the fourth one might be those people who don't like standing in front of a, a hairdryer every day. So when you give a little bit more explanation, it's like if you have a menu in a restaurant where they drop the menu and you go, here's the dessert. So you've got, you know, um, a piece of uh, lemon pie the size of a, a house brick. And then you've got uh, cheesecake, also the size of a house brick. And then you've got sticky date pudding, which would land in your guts and you couldn't eat it all. So there's three options, but they're all the same. They're just big, right? So I also think you need to have an option. Like if you came to me and said, this is the dessert menu. So depending on whether you've got much room, but we've got these lovely little biscuits and it comes with two biscuits. They're only tiny. It's $9 and they're lovely with your coffee. Uh, if you don't feel like something as heavy as sticky date pudding. Like just the dialogue sells it too, you know. So instead of saying, well, there's all the shampoos over there, go pick yourself one, love, you know. It's not like that. You have to nurture the client. You have to look after the client and you need to say. Like I remember going into a cafe once in the morning to have a salon meeting and I was a bit peckish. I had breakfast. It was about 11 but it wasn't lunchtime. And the waiter said, um, are you eating? And the girl said, no, no, we're just having coffee. And he looked at me, he said, you look like you might be a little bit hungry. I said, oh, I am. And he said, well, we've just got these little quiches that just popped out of the oven. They're only this big. And he showed me. And I said, I'll have one, please. And the girl said, so will we. Right? So if he could have said, oh, these people aren't having lunch, what a shame. He didn't. Like it's going the extra mile and finding out. Like my face must have looked disappointed when they said we weren't eating. And I didn't really want to have a, a piece of cake or a sweet thing. But I just needed something. So he would have sold that too. I don't know. There might have been six or seven dollars each, but that's got to add to your coffee. Like four dollars, five dollars each for coffee, six dollars each. That made it, that doubled his order. Imagine if he did that all day long. Pretty easy, really, isn't it? You now, what's interesting, like every analogy that you've spoken about today and I've spoken about, have come from other industries. So going back to what you said earlier in the podcast about the importance of staying curious, if within as if as stylists and salon owners. Uh, you can stay curious all the time, no matter what you're doing. You can certainly see and pick up some great examples and ideas that you can drag into your business to help your salon business be better. I mean, what you're saying now, Lisa, that's the last five minutes, It's it's been brilliant. Well, it's curious to please, isn't it? You know, it's like if you if you just look at someone and go, oh, they're in a shit, that's, that's not staying curious. But if you look at someone and you go, oh, what's going on over there and you say is there anything i can do to help you oh no i'm just waiting for a, an uber and my phone's not working or whatever you know like that's staying curious to me you just mm. bit curious and then you get an opportunity to help someone serve someone and you know it's like when someone comes into your salon and they say i'm just having a haircut well a haircut's not just having a haircut it's like saying i'm just a housewife nothing's just anything that's always a sell down but I think so, you know, why are you here? What is it that's bugging you about your hair or what is it that you'd like? And they'd say, well, I'd like to grow it, but it's always thin looking and that. And I'd say, well, you know, have you thought about going a little bit deeper in colour? Because when you're a little bit deeper, it'll look a bit thicker. Oh, that's interesting. Like that's staying curious to me. It's about why, do you, why are you here for a haircut? doesn't to me look like it needs a haircut. It looks to me like it needs a treatment or looks to me like it needs to be, you know, just a bit deeper or like a wispy little fringe. If you, if you make the colour one shade deeper, it'll be thicker. 
you know, or they're struggling with all those foils and drying their hair, well, why don't we just foil more around your face line, which is where you see it, and frame your face, and it'll give the rest of your hair a chance to survive, you know, and thicken up. Oh, that's interesting. Like, it's just, you have to be talking. You have to be um, the whole way through. A consultation starts at the start, but it goes all the way to the end. The last part of the consultation is, how have I served you today? Are you happy? Like, I'm fascinated sometimes. I get a blow wave everywhere and you go and they take the the, the wrap off you. They're like you're like a bullfighter, you know? <laughs> I think, it looks shit. And I don't care because I go home and I just think it's fine. Thanks, love. Like sometimes I take a photo of and I send it to my friend. I go, have a look at this, $65 worth of shit here. <laughs> and I just fix it. But it, you shouldn't have to do that. But I shouldn't have to go, ah, uh, hello, does anyone care if I care? Like, you know, fascin fascinating. And if you're not, if you're a stylist and you're not going in and having your hair done at least every second week somewhere, what, what are you doing, Peter? What are you doing, Paul, Mary, you know? I agree. Get on to it. Get out there. Get Get amongst it, you know, learn what it is. And what you will find out is you're probably way better and you're underselling yourself because when you get out there, you think, mate, no wonder they love me as a stylist. I was in your face trying to work out what you wanted, you know. It's so important. Mm. So I think we've probably flushed all of those problems out, haven't we, Mark? I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, I just I love what I do. I fell in love with hairdressers the first time I met that girl in the city and I've always been fascinated by they've got big hearts, they're the thumping heart of any community, they know exactly what's going on in the town. You know, I just wish they would value themselves more than they do and understand that they have such an incredible power and get over yourself, dickhead. I tell them all that all the time. Get over yourself, dickhead, and just do your job. You know, stop, stop worrying about someone else's money or just just be there. You know, I've seen, I've had the pleasure of being in some salons and seen some incredible things happen just because the salon owner cares and she teaches a team and the clients come in and it's like this, you come in as a number, right? You might come in as a number four because you're not feeling that flash and you leave as a 10. That's, that's an incredible gift to be able to give to someone. So just do the whole package. You know? Yeah, hairdressers have the power to change people's lives for the better every single day. I think it's very easy to become complacent and not recognise this unless you're reminded on with conversations like we're having right now and listening to podcasts like this, like the power that hairdressers have is just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can thank the confidence I have in myself today due to a, a great hairdresser and a great haircut. So that's massive. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's a cool spot, and I just think we're making headways. We just keep going and and look after yourself. You can't look after anyone else if you haven't looked after yourself at all. At all. Well, thanks for your time today, Mark. My pleasure, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Great chat as always. My, my pleasure. We'll see you around the traps. Have a great day. You too. Bye for now. See ya.